Today's episode is brought to you by Altec Incorporated. Altec is a leading custom injection molding and precision machining manufacturer of key parts and components for rockets and satellites. And yes, that includes small sats. Altec works with customers to develop solutions tailored to their mission, needs, and goals. Based in the United States, Altec's dedicated team provides design assistance and manufacturing for proprietary and confidential projects. As if Altec's custom injection molding, in-mold electronics, heat treating, painting, and testing wasn't already the whole nine yards, Altec also provides assembly and kitting for a wide range of structural and mechanical products. Learn more at altec-inc.com. That's A-L-T-E-K-inc.com. Hey, hey, happy Tuesday, and welcome to Pathfinder, the leading podcast for space professionals. I'm your host, Ryan Duffy, and I'm excited to bring you another great episode. Today, we're sitting down with John Gedmark, the CEO of Astronus, a startup on a mission to connect the world through next-generation internet satellites. We'll be chatting for about an hour in our talk show-style format, so sit back and get ready to be informed and entertained as we explore the top news and trends beyond Earth. So if that sounded a bit stuffy, that entire intro was written by uh, Chat GPT, which is like the most buzzy viral AI product from another company based here in San Francisco. But we are not here to talk about the trending topics on tech Twitter. Tw- tech Twitter, excuse me. We're here to talk about small, cheap satellites flying twenty-two thousand miles over our head. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, why don't we start off by just hearing a bit more about the building that we are in? I, I just got a tour before this this conversation, and we can we can include some some pictures and some visuals. But it is quite a fascinating building. I feel like it's like the millennials' dream. Like there's exposed <laughs> brick and and high ceilings and everything. It's great. Yeah. Well, the uh, the very cool thing about this building is that it actually dates back to World War II, and was a real life shipyard where they built warships for for World War II. So this building cranked out submarines. It cranked out warships. And, you know, basically they were, it was a whole operating complex where steel would come in one side of the complex and then entire ships would come out and then go right into San Francisco Bay. So it's a pretty cool place to be. We are, it's, it's pretty cool that we're, we're going from ships to spaceships here in one of the most historic manufacturing locations in, I think, all of the United States. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I didn't know that history. I knew that it was, it's, it's you know, obviously this building wasn't, wasn't built in 2015, when, when Astronus got, got its start, but I knew it, it had some historical imports. So tell me a little bit more about how you've grown into this building and what's going on right now. You know, I obviously just saw it with my own eyes, but, but unfortunately, our, our listeners and viewers don't have the, uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't just get, get, get the tour. So to the extent that you can talk about what you're doing here today, for example. Yeah, so we are now building uh, entire batches of satellites. Uh, we have our first launch coming up very soon, just uh, uh, in the next yep. few weeks. Yep. Uh, that'll be a satellite that we will launch uh, to go up and provide broadband internet service to all of Alaska. So mm-hmm. first time that uh, U.S. state has had a, an entire geosatellite dedicated just, uh, just for that state. Uh, we finished that satellite uh, a number of months ago, so it's been ready to ship. We've been waiting for the rocket. And now uh, we've been often building entire batches of, of follow-on satellites that we will be putting up in, uh, over countries all over the world. So we have now started to really ramp up and get to production scale yeah. as a company. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great to see. So we're going to we're gonna we're gonna ramp up the 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 conversation pretty quickly in terms of getting into the technical nitty gritty and you know, market conversation, geopolitics, you know, light, light, light conversation topics. But before we do, I want to just establish some key vocab terms. So, so that, you know, people, people following along at home, don't get, don't, don't uh, get confused. Um, So first off, and this is also a chance to kind of talk a little bit more about your product. What is micro geo? Yeah, so these are very small satellite for geo, geostationary orbit. So mm-hmm. geostationary orbit is this special orbit. You, you already you already got the second you already got the second <laughs> vocab too. So well, it's a question we get a lot. So uh, geostationary orbit is a special orbit where you can put a single satellite up and park it over a country or over a part of the world 
and begin providing service from just that one single satellite. And it works that way because the satellite is up at a high enough altitude that it's orbiting the Earth at a rotation rate of one rotation per day. Mm-hmm. And the surface of the Earth also rotates at one rotation per day. So if you can time it right, if you can get the satellite right into exactly the right orbital position, then the satellite is, appears to uh, someone on the ground to just be fixed there in uh, Earth hanging over a country. So that's what we do. Uh, and what's different is that we're building satellites far smaller than anyone has ever built these satellites before. Right. And sort of the key insight that we had was that we could put a really non-trivial amount of capacity, enough to cover an entire smaller medium-sized country with broadband internet, in a single satellite, and then provide that as a service to our customers who are these countries all over the world. Right. I'm going to try to take a, take a stab at just kind of the key numbers for MicroGeo. It's around 880 pounds. Uh, yeah, call it 350 to 400 kilograms. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sorry, I can't get the the, <laughs> the American all the all the American metrics. It's can't get them out of my brain, despite having been writing about space for for 16 months. And these have on the order of a decade lifespan. Uh, yeah. So um, typically the satellites have about eight years of eight fuel years. life, and yeah. then there will be circumstances we can uh, stretch the useful life out to about 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I suspect we, we can get in into that. But normally at the end of the show, I ask guests their, their hottest take or, or most contrarian view. But I think that we can and should cover that ground now because the central premise of Astronus is that when they go low, you go high, you know, low earth orbit is lower. Th- Feel free to use that one, by the way, for, for, uh, for advertising. But Sure. Yeah. But, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm already stealing it right now in my head. You're already thinking of marketing campaigns. Um, so, you know, Leo is Leo low earth orbit is like the bee's knees. Like Leo's very, very hot right now. And, and I think there's, there's, you've already kind of pointed out some reasons why geo, the advantages of, of, of geo. But I'm curious to hear, you know, what what exactly made you think, you know, it, it is a very contrarian view. The, the, a lot of the other the companies, a lot, a lot of the other entities operating in geo are big, big, big corporations that have been around for for decades or in most like nation states. So why why geo? Yeah, it is a great question. I mean, so when we started Astronus, everybody was uh, racing after Leo mm-hmm. for a, a variety of different applications, communications, as, as well as remote sensing and some other things. And I guess the reason we decided to do it is, I mean, to a certain extent, no one else was. There was just what we thought was an obvious gap in, in capabilities that we, we thought we thought should exist and did not exist. And geo historically is where most of the money has been made in space. Yeah. So there, you know, you you know, there's something there. And in fact, a lot of people really consider the each of these orbital slots where a large geo satellite sits to be some of the most valuable real estate that there is in in the entire solar system because mm-hmm. of, of this ability to put up a single satellite and park it over a country. There's so much right value you can you can drive from that. So, uh, so we knew there was something there. And then the question was just. If we do, if we went about things in a in a faster way, in a better way, where uh, we're using the latest, you know, the latest technology and all the things that we've learned over the last over the last decade on, uh, of how to build better, smaller satellites, could we do something really interesting in geo? And I think the answer was indisputably uh, yes. And so, um, yeah, and I think the market has proven that out. Yeah, yeah. Rewinding a bit to the pre-Astronus days, y- your, your background. You worked, you had a brief stint, right, at a kind of traditional aerospace defense contractor, realized pretty quickly that it wasn't for you. And then you you were at the XPRIZE Foundation for a bit. That's right. And and then the I think the the part of your resume that fascinated me the most is you spent a few years in, in DC, right? Starting, starting on scaling the Commercial Space Flight Federation. That's right. Yep. What is the Commercial Space Flight Federation for those that aren't uh, familiar? Yeah. So the Commercial Space Flight Federation is the industry association of new space companies, mm-hmm. basically. And when we started it, it was just a handful of companies. So, you know, this was actually back 
in 2007, 2008, when the number of players was was very small. It was mm-hmm. basically SpaceX, Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin, a couple of other companies, a couple of spaceports. And there was clearly there was enough there uh, to be worth putting together, you know, a real organization that could organize and go and, uh, and, and, and advocate and make sure that, that, you know, the rules were going to be, that the right rules were going to be put in place and that the rules would be fair. Yeah. You know, that's, that's really what it's all about. So, uh, I, I mean, I've been very proud to see the organization now grow significantly in size and still be today, I think, the leading uh, organization mm-hmm. for new space companies. So that's, that's been great to see. How'd you like living in D.C.? That's that's got to be a change of pace from Silicon Valley. Certainly, there is you know there's an impact you can have there if all the right stars align. That is hard to have anywhere else because if some of these policies that get enacted end up moving billions of dollars around, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's something hard to to achieve um, almost anywhere else. And then on a personal front, it's just a uh, it's a great town. Mm-hmm. It's a very, uh, it's a very young town. You have a lot of very ambitious, smart, energetic young people who you know want to make the world a better place. They move there. They you know they find jobs where they can have some form of some kind of impact, and it's a it's a pretty cool thing to see. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of great things about the town. Yeah, yeah. So you did your tour of duty in D.C. and then you moved back out west, and I think. As, I, as I've heard you, you tell it, you started kicking around ideas with, with Ryan, your co-founder, and y'all spent a decent amount of time kind of, you know, let it, let, letting these, these various ideas uh, marinate. And you, you settled on satellite internet and, and geo. And this was in 2015. I just want to make sure we have the, the my, my timeline is, is right, because I'm going to take us along the timeline pretty quickly in a second here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there was, a, there was quite a while there. I don't know. It's maybe almost a year where we kicked around a bunch of ideas. Yeah. yeah. And another uh, local institution, Astronus went through Y Combinator. Mm-hmm. How did you decide to apply? And at, at, at the time, what did you think your chances of, of getting accepted were, right? Because especially back then, you know, there weren't that many, the, the, the end of, of even hardware startups, let alone like kind of deep tech was, was lower. Now, now it's, I think that there's a lot, there's a lot more representation. I know, I know you, and we'll talk about the, the yeah, for sure. I mean, it, so at the time, Y Combinator was undergoing some changes that it's sort of easy to forget and, uh, or, you know, lose track of, uh, Sam Altman mm-hmm. had, uh, just become president mm-hmm. and he had basically put the word out that he was interested in deep tech and hard tech and having more companies like that participate in Y Combinator. Mm-hmm. I think he had a quote or something along the lines of, you know, we don't want some new incubator to start up yeah. and be the Y Combinator of deep tech. We mm-hmm. want to be the Y Combinator of yeah. deep tech. Yeah. So, you know, we better get moving on that. And I can't remember exactly how they, uh, you know, exactly how we heard that, but but that was clear from from day one. It was like and a, a call to arms. Yeah, I mean, they, they they definitely got the word out, and the impact was immediate because not only did we join YC in the batch that that we did, mm-hmm. but also so did Relativity Space and Boom Supersonic. Yeah. So we showed up thinking we might be the only deep tech company, or you know. You know, aerospace, hardware company, we, we just had no idea. And then, you know, you walk in the door like that first day, the first dinner, and you see two other hard tech companies, one that's a rocket company and one that's a supersonic jet company. And you're like, okay, actually, we're, yeah, we're in the right place. So that was a, uh, that was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. I, in, in my my preparation for this conversation, I knew that that, 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 that was the the aerospace cohort there were the three of you and i've been been in my head calling it the uh the three the three aerospace amigos like going through going through that that cohort um so now it's now it's out out to the world but we've actually had we've had tim tim ellis and jordan noon both on on the podcast so probably have to get get blake on at at some point after at the end of yc and and this is basically i've just been building up to this uh because there's there's a there's, you know, you built a prototype, you 
spent those three months, I'm sure, you know, not getting not getting much sleep and eating a lot of ramen. But demo day, famously, you know, it, the 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 YC program culminates in this this these presentations from all of 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 the founders. And y'all had something to show the crowd, right? So can can you can you just tell us that <laughs> tell us that story really quickly? Because yes, I got a uh, kick out of it when I heard it. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd be happy to. So just taking a step back, the first thing when you walk in the door is the YC partners, and for us, you know, again, hardware was was very new for them. But they said, look, what can you accomplish in the next three months? We know hardware is hard. We know it takes a long time, but you need to figure out what you can accomplish in the next three months that will be impressive on demo day. So go and figure that out and get start working on it, you know, yesterday. So we said, well, we know as a company, we want to put something in space very quickly and just show that we can move fast. And we think that this early test satellite, they'll test out some of the key technologies we're interested in. We think we can build a first prototype in the three months. And they were like, oh, well, yeah, you should definitely Great. do that. Like that, that sounds perfect. <laughs> I, I think they were actually skeptical that we could pull it off. They were like... But they were happy to, to let us try. So, you know, Ryan and I basically locked ourselves in a room with a couple of friends for, you know, the three months, cranked out this hardware and had this prototype satellite. And so I think much to everyone's surprise, because they had just not seen this type of hardware before, uh, we showed up to demo day with a real life satellite. So, you know, we get on the stage uh, and I just start uh, talking and there's a moment where we do sort of the reveal and Ryan holds up, takes it out of this like, you know, it's got this Pella case, takes out this case and holds it up. And everyone in the audience just immediately went, ooh. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and it was so unexpected that I laughed. I, like, you can hear me. If you want, go, you can find that video somewhere. I don't know if it's, it's something you can still find. But Oh, I hope. You can see me laugh on stage because I'm so, so, it's like startling to hear that. You know, it's like something out of a cartoon, right? <laughs> and so it's like to hear that in real life, I, yeah. you just don't expect it. I just like started laughing and then I like had to, you know, remember where I was in my script and, and then jump back yeah. into it. But uh, that was, you know, that was pretty. That was pretty cool. And then coming off the stage, you know, the partners were just like, "Wow, all right, we've never seen that before happen." Yeah, ever. yeah, yeah. So, last question on kind of like it's you know it's 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 interesting because you are doing something so different as as a startup, but you have a lot of these like markers of of a traditional kind of success story from from Silicon Valley or San Francisco. Andreessen Horowitz led your Series A, went through. Went through YC. I don't have any other examples, but I'm gonna hit hit my finger like I have a third one. Uh, and on on the the investing side, I, I'm I'm interested to know. And then we can get into the technology. We can get into the the fun stuff. I think that in many ways, VCs can be, and I'm not speaking generally, but like you know, investors in in a lot of ways can be like pattern matching creatures like pattern matching is like a common common term in that that industry and i'm sure like a decent share of your your cap table from from here and and, and elsewhere hadn't touched a space deal for astronus so you know hardware is hard space is is i don't need to tell you but i'm still going to say it space is obviously very very hard and you're 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 a pre-product you know startup so what was what was the pitch like how how did how were you able to to, to, to sell them and get the deals across the, the finish line when they probably hadn't formed any sort of theses or mental models around space companies. Yeah, no, uh, that's a very good way of putting it. Um, and what I'll say is that, you know, state the obvious, we got a lot of no's, a lot of people who just didn't even know where to begin yeah. and how to think about the company yeah. because they, you know, they quickly realized they would have to go understand the technology. They would have to understand the market and they hadn't thought about broadband internet as a as a new, right. very large and fast growing market in you know quite some time. They've been so focused on software, and they would also have to learn about space uh, as a as an industry. So that's a lot. That's a lot for VCs to take on. So yeah. uh, so we had to find the people that were really that got excited and were willing to do the work, and they did have to do a lot of work. And uh, but the pitch was no different than than I had to, than when I first yeah. described yeah. it at the beginning of this meeting, right? It had, the pitch hasn't changed. There's a huge, almost 
unlimited demand for broadband internet, and we have not even scratched the surface of, of the service that we can provide to people all over the world. Almost by definition, the 4 billion people that do not have broadband internet are the people that, have, uh, that we have failed to reach with fiber. Right. Right. We have, reached, we have basically reached everyone with fiber that we are going to reach. If, if, if we could get these other people on, online with fiber, we would, have, we would have done it by now. We've been working on that problem for 20 years. Right. So it's clear that we need one or multiple technology, you know, new technologies or other approaches to go and, and solve that problem. And our ability to, to put up these, you know, small dedicated satellites, focus capacity right where it's needed. I think there's something in that that just clicks for some people. And then obviously, then there's people where it doesn't. And that's, and that's fine. Yeah. So let's talk about the, the technology. I think that the, the big story, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but where, where I was interested in, in starting and, and maybe like a decent amount of the secret sauce is the, the software defined radios. So tell us a little bit more about that and we can go from there. Yeah, for sure. So first, as, as a little bit of background, I think most people are surprised to find out that uh, the big satellites that are put up still today by the traditional uh, satellite manufacturers mm-hmm. uh, and almost all the satellites that have been launched to do um, uh, to do uh, comms from geo are all still analog. Mm-hmm. So there's no digital signal processing happening on board those satellites. Right. Uh, there's these big analog repeaters in the sky that you can you can bounce a signal off of, and that's mm-hmm. valuable. Um, but uh, they're not actually doing anything in the in the digital domain in, uh, on board the satellites. And so what we what we realize is, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of power in moving from analog into digital. There's just so much more you can do with a digital representation of something uh, versus just the analog waves and this. You know, this is how this, this is what we've learned ac- mm-hmm. across many mediums. You know, first, right. first uh, audio, and then video, and then I mean, uh, the list goes on and on. So mm-hmm. you can get so much more power out of the out of the system. Uh, and then the other thing is flexibility. So for us, it turns out that being able to flexibly dial the exact frequencies that you're operating on on onboard the satellite in software is key because it means each satellite can be built identically uh, as an identical copy of the satellite that came before. So you can build these satellites. Uh, then you can get to a point where you can really build the satellites on an assembly line mm-hmm. in a mass production fashion, whereas previously all these satellites had, had historically been hand-built. Mm-hmm. You had to figure out how, how to custom build the satellite for that part of the world, and every part of the world was a little bit different. Different rules meant different. Interesting. A little bit different frequency bands that you were right. operating on, which meant different hardware that was hardwired into the satellite. And so each of these satellites was this custom-built, bespoke thing that took four or five years to build. And if you can move a lot of that hardware into software, you actually you you you, you can improve the performance quite significantly. But the real game-changing thing is being able to build all these satellites on an assembly line and have right. them be identical to the, the one that came before. Right, right. So, I mean, these, the satellites can be, like, reprogrammed to use different frequencies. And then they, you can also, I think you described it to me. It was, like, it was a long That's time right. ago. It was, like, a year ago. But, like, you can steer steer the beams. Um, yeah, so being able to put down, so being able, like having blanket. flexibility where you, uh, you know, we have flexibility of being able to steer where we're putting coverage uh, and then uh, on top of that is flexibility of both what frequency bands uh, each beam of the satellite is operating on, and you can down you, you can get actually quite granular. So uh, you can carve out significant chunks of frequencies. You can do a wider band signal. You can do a narrow narrow band signal and put all that power behind a narrow uh, narrower band signal. And then also and, and that allows us basically to move capa- You know what that means to the users is being able to move capacity around between different areas. Think of it as different areas of country. Yeah. You plan to put up a satellite to blanket a country in internet, and then you find out that a part of the country is going to have way higher demand than you previously had thought. Mm-hmm. You know, some, something happens where you have a huge demographic, you know, uh, growth of population 
in this part of the country. Right. Now they need more internet. You can move capacity over there. Uh, and actually, that's on a very long time scale. On a shorter time scale, you can do it. You can do, we can do that in, instantly. So uh, where would you want to do that? You would want to do that with in-flight Wi-Fi mm-hmm. or maritime, tracking airplanes yeah. as they move through a coverage area, tracking ships. You just want to keep as much capacity as possible focused right on that ship. You can do that with uh, onboard digital processing and some of the things that, yeah. that I was just talking about. Yeah. So SREAM is a new acronym I made up for this conversation, and it's SWAP rules everything around me. So it's like a, a, a cocooned uh, acronym. But SWAP is, uh, regular listeners will know because we've, we've had it come up in a couple of recent episodes, but size, weight, and power. And the idea, is, you know, the, the idea is that every ounce of weight or like cubic centimeter space or, or mil, milliwatt hour of, of power uh, counts and you're making decisions, you know, at, at the expense. So you have in, 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 the, in the form factor that you have, it's about, uh, with 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 the with the solar array, you're not counting the, the solar array, it's like like a, a heavy washing machine, like a, a heavy duty washing machine. That's yeah. compared to a traditional geo satellite is like you as 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 y'all say, it's a, a double decker bus. So what sorts of engineering trade offs? And you know you're able to make these much quicker as as you already alluded to, and they are a fraction of the price or the cost that it costs the the larger sort of traditional geo spacecraft what are the what are the trade-offs there uh the trade-offs of going to a smaller uh smaller satellite no, yeah 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 so so you know uh, effective like like there has to be there has to be some reason that the the satellites that are double-decker buses are the size of double or maybe, oh no, no no oh for sure yeah so those satellites are really designed to cover an entire continent okay okay and have a huge amount of capacity if you actually if you go back historically some of the ones launched uh a few decades ago we're actually now starting to match their capability with a satellite of this size. But if you look at the satellites built today, they're really designed to cover an entire continent. And so we're taking a fraction of that capacity and either focusing it on a single country or putting it down on a sort of, uh, you know, a, a region that mm-hmm. might be a fraction of a, uh, of a continent. So um, we are... Uh, we are able to match the capability of the big satellites by putting up a handful of our satellites mm-hmm. in this place. And then the magic is that we don't have to put them all up at the same time. We could phase them mm-hmm. where you're just putting up the capacity as you need it. So you put up a satellite, first satellite, uh, if that's all the capacity that the customer needs initially. And then you add more satellites over time, adding more and more capacity. And you can actually keep adding satellites in a single orbital position, an, an orbital slot. Um, in that way and just keep layering more capacity. Yeah. A side note, but it one uh, one advantage of geo I'm sure is that it's not getting nearly as 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 crowded as some of like the key orbital shells in in Leo, but but I digress. I think it, in, yeah, orbit, orbit, orbital debris is uh is, is not the same problem in geo that it yeah, is in Leo. Right. In 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 Leo there's very real concerns there as we put uh you know, huge huge quantities of satellites up. Um, whereas geo there's, you know, orders of magnitude, fewer satellites, and it's a vastly larger region of space. So Mm -hmm. that's definitely an advantage. Right. And returning to the the flexibility point, you mentioned flexibility, another unique aspect, and I'm going to begin to transition us to, to go to market and the business side of this is you're not selling these satellites, right? You're leasing, you lease them or you lease capacity. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, we we own and operate the satellites, and we uh, sell capacity uh, to our customers, typically on a long-term lease. So they sign on for a, a pretty long-term contract for a sort of a bulk purchase of a large amount of capacity, and um, uh, and then and then we may have you know uh, other other ways to sell the capacity on top of that. But that's that's the uh, that's that is a big differentiator in our business model. Right. Well, I think the next easy point here is to, to look at the two, the two markets or or geographies where, where you will, will soon be launching um, Alaska and Peru and kind of walk through how all of this that we've discussed, how, how that comes together 
in practice. Maybe Alaska. I think that, I think, you know, sure. pe people, people forget, they shouldn't forget, but they're, the digital divide, you know, obviously very much extends uh, in, 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 into the U.S. And, and um, it's, it's a problem in the rural U.S. and in the, the lower 48, but then obviously Alaska has tons and tons and tons of, of, of cell dead zones. So, yeah, I, I, I think everyone would, would love to hear how it's what, what all of this coming together will look like in, in practice. Yeah. So Alaska is this uh, almost perfect use case for satellite. It's, it's an absolutely huge state. People are always surprised at how large it really is when they get up there. There are people living in just some of the most remote places you can imagine. I mean, you mm -hmm. can only get there by bush plane or by going out on these uh, on these boats out to these super remote islands. Uh, and uh, it, it's it's a place where I think we will never cover it with uh, entirely with fiber, right? I right. Mean, it's just it's just too hard. Yeah. Uh, these things are too remote. So we know they need and they, they need a lot of of capacity. They need a lot of broadband internet. Uh, it's a perfect use case for satellite, and we actually see the demand there for multiple of our satellites, plus all of the capacity that uh, Leo constellations can offer, plus point to point microwave. I mean, they're going to. They really are going to need it all. So uh, so we are going to be launching this first satellite here coming up very soon mm -hmm. and uh, positioning it right overhead uh, over Alaska. Uh, so the satellite would be in an orbital position out uh, kind of in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's directly in line with Alaska. Uh, focusing all of its capacity on that one state. So it's just a single satellite dedicated just for Alaska. First time that Alaska's ever had that. Yeah. And our customer there has been doing this for 20, 25 years. So they know how to go out and deploy all of the ground equipment, yeah. you know, keep everything up and operational, uh, keep the ground equipment in service. They have all the logistics, uh, logistical they, experience. Yeah, they, they have all that logistical experience. They're, they've been a fantastic partner for us. Uh, Pacific Data Port uh, is the, uh, the team up there. And, uh, and we're very excited. I mean, we're going to be providing internet that's a mix of applications to support tens of thousands, if not hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people, mm -hmm. right? We're talking about schools, hospitals, other types of enterprise uh, applications, and also a, a significant amount of, of trunking and backhaul, mm -hmm. right? Which is how uh, large amounts of capacity get moved around behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and you also, you, I'll include a story, or I'll, I'll include a link to our story, but you also struck a deal with, with a, a Peruvian telecom so maybe one day we could see you supporting connectivity on the top of machu picchu as, as you as you told me uh <laughs> well not one day i mean we're launching that satellite this summer so that is is Ma that, machu picchu is like within the uh i i i will have to get back to you but i suspect <laughs> but our, our customer provides one day uh, soon they provide um uh service all over the country and that includes some of the most remote parts of the country right at the difference there is a lot of the people out in some of these remote areas are really mobile first. Mm -hmm. So what totally. they are looking for is broadband internet on their cell phones. Mm -hmm. And we can provide that to them uh, as soon as the satellite goes up yeah. and, and gets online. It, it's really only some pretty modest upgrades to the cell towers to be able to uh, then operate at 3G or 4G speeds. Yeah. Uh, whereas today they are, are mostly just still all stuck on 2G, if you mm -hmm. can believe it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and the satellite is sort of the perfect way to get these very remote cell towers connected to the network, right? I mean, that's sort of the key thing. Every one of these cell towers has to be connected to the internet somehow. And it's really just a question of getting those cell towers connected with a broadband uh, backhaul link, getting that in place. And then the the users are able to actually uh, get onto the broadband internet almost instantly on their phones. Their, their phones, you know, these um, these are these are iPhones and Android phones, just like we right. have. Maybe they're a few generations behind, but they can support 4G internet speeds yeah. out of the box. They yeah. don't have to go get new phones. Right. Uh, all that matters is is what the cell tower is doing. So if we can fix the cell tower and the backhaul link for the cell tower to get it more capacity, they will get these broadband internet speeds. Uh, Almost immediately. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's an incredible way to have a, a immediate impact. On yeah. People. Yeah. And, and and to your point, like about all the fiber that is going to be laid that ha has been laid. Not only would it be ungodly expensive or 
logistically, physically impossible to, to lay more. Uh, so I want to ask about your your tickets to to space. So you have a ride share on a Falcon Heavy, and then you you bought uh, an entire Falcon Nine, right? And and I, I, you know everyone will know that that's that's pretty wild. That's a big big undertaking, and and also it's 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 pretty badass. So walk us through uh, both of those decisions, starting with the the ride share, and then the decision the decision, you know, the, the, the second, the second launch or mission and the mission profiles of, of both. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, the Falcon heavy was just a unique opportunity. There's not actually that many commercial Falcon heavy launches that a company like ours could get a ride on. So when that popped up, I mean, we, we, uh, we were, we were working with SpaceX at the time on a few different options and we were just like, yeah, we, you know, uh, well, it was more of a hell yeah. Let, let's <laughs> jump on that immediately. And um, and the reason why it's cool, aside from the the fact that the the two boosters will back, return yeah. and land simultaneously, which is you know I think one of the most magical things that is happening today across all of, all of technology. The reason it's cool for us is that rocket allows us to get a direct inject into geostationary orbit. So we will be delivered almost directly into the spot where we ultimately want to get to and we'll be up and operational in that spot, you know, starting starting to to test out the satellite within days yeah. of launch. Yeah. Um, and that's that's sort of not the norm for for Geo and for a satellite of our type. So um, so that's very cool. And that's that is uh, just a unique opportunity that um, that doesn't come along very often. So mm. we we knew we wanted to jump on that. Mm. Um, looking for and then looking at at future missions the thing that we realized in looking at the Falcon 9 was that the economics worked for us to put even just four satellite, four of our satellites on a Falcon 9. And I think previously we'd been assuming that we would want to put more on, on a Falcon 9 if we were going to go and get a dedicated launch that's, that's just for us, so not doing a ride share. Um, eight satellites, more, 10, 12, you know, I mean, some larger number. But we realized the economics for the projects that we were that each of these satellites represents actually worked uh, with just four satellites, uh, and so we, uh, you know, we, we and at, at the right price. And so we worked yeah. with SpaceX to, uh, you know, to make it work, um, and uh, and so we're very excited to have this uh, this this rocket that is. You know, going to be the Astronus launch, yeah, uh, and uh, and and no one else. I mean, it, you know, it is, yeah, it's pretty hype. It is us, um, you know, us being truly in, in control of our own destiny there. So, right. and and that kind of schedule control matters, right? The rideshare business is pretty tough from the satellite side. You have to be ready to go, and then you sort of wait for the rocket to be ready. Uh, and if the reverse happens, where the rocket's ready first, then you can be really in a jam, or yeah. you, know, you, you you have the rocket basically launching without you. Yeah. So uh, so that is a that is a big deal for us, and and we're pretty excited about it. And actually, because we're only putting four of these small satellites on the on the rocket, we're actually underutilizing the the payload capability quite a bit, uh, and that allows us to be placed into um, uh, into a much more favorable transfer orbit where we can cut our orbit raise time up to geo by months. So we're actually going to be uh, up in geo <laughs> quite quickly compared to sort of the baseline mission um, uh, yeah, with faster yeah. orbit rates using our electric propulsion system. And and that also is something that, you know, we realized was was, uh, was sort of worth it to, to make this happen and bring it all together. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, that basically translates into starting to generate revenue, starting to, you know, connect, connect more people, like work with these customers. More oh, quickly. for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. From the customer's perspective, uh, the sooner you can get mm -hmm. up and operational, the better. I mean, they, everybody wants their capacity, you know, wants this extra capacity yesterday. So uh, being able to get up that much faster is a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, so on, on the, the note of, of, of customers, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to break the fourth wall here and talk to, talk to the Pathfinder listeners. Cause it's a new year. My 2023 guarantee to you is that I'm going to try on this podcast to be a space, uh, scoop meister whenever I can. 
And so before we were recording, and I hopefully we can we can also talk about it a little bit on this episode, but you were telling me that you recently made a, a pretty big hire. And so I'm hoping that you can share a little bit more who it is and and what 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 this person will be doing at at the company. We did just make a, a fantastic new hire. So we have a new executive joining us named Doug Apps. He uh, comes to us from Viasant, actually, and he's joining Astronus as our chief commercial officer. He was previously, he, he held a number of roles at Viasat. One of those was he was the general manager of their, of, of their in-flight connectivity business. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, just, uh, I just wrote about it yesterday because of the Delta. Yeah, yeah. So, so that business, if you go back in time, you know, five years ago, five or six years ago, uh, was uh, when he took it over, it was a very young, you know, very early business with, uh, I think they, they may have just had even a single customer. They were doing some trials with, uh, with JetBlue. Yeah. And he was able to turn that into a multi-hundred million dollar annual revenue business. Yeah. I, I'm uh, not, I'm yeah. not like an, a walking, uh, I, I don't know, no numbers and figures off the top of my head, but because I wrote this yesterday, I know that last fiscal, like their last quarterly, uh, results they they you know the the amount of aircraft that it was installed in grew like twenty percent year over year so it, yeah it's it, it's growing very strongly to your point yeah it's it's a, a fantastic track record of uh, of of really taking a business that's that's quite similar to ours and and uh, growing it incredibly quickly turning it into a uh, you know a fantastic business that's providing a, a ton of value so um, we're very excited to have him join and I think it just speaks to all the momentum that we have been gaining in our commercial sales. Right. We've had a huge amount of success with a very small sales team and effectively zero marketing spend. Yeah. Uh, and now we're ready to, you know, especially with this new facility we stood up and, and our ability to, uh, to scale the business, we're, we're pretty excited about blowing it out of the water. Yeah. Can you say a bit more about commercial sales and, and to the extent you can share any color or context on what's what's in the pipeline. You know, we talked a little bit about uh, Alaska and Peru and and, and I, I maybe maybe also a little bit about the kind of the, the the end users. You know, are you are you mostly right now looking at sort of like the ISPs and the telcos? I know that you you've also oh the contracting language is like so so confusing so I'm gonna butcher it, but you 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 you're you know, won the right to compete for a, a United States Air Force contract. Again, I probably butchered that, but let's stick with commercial sales right, for, for, for now. Sure. So uh, there's only so much I can say because right. we have uh, some announcements coming up, but stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh, I think what it. I can say is we have projects in work all over the world and we have multiple signed commercial contracts that we have not announced yet. Okay. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. Good, good, good enough for me. Can we can we talk a little bit about what the sort of end use case would look like for a, a government customer? On the commercial side, right, the biggest, what we see as the biggest market is what we were talking about earlier, like in uh, a country like Peru, mm -hmm. where you have uh, still a significant number of the population that is that is not connected with broadband internet. They're on very remote areas, rural areas. And uh, these, you know, these are the 4 billion people that everybody talks about that do not have broadband internet uh, right today. So that is a huge market. It, it doesn't get any big, it, it honestly doesn't get any bigger than mm -hmm. 4 billion people desperately wanting and needing a thing. And, uh, you know, so far we, we have, we have failed to deliver it to them. So that is a huge deal. And, and we see the main way to do that is, is working with telcos and service yeah. providers to get these, these very remote cell towers uh, connected in some of these countries and do other types of, of trunking and backhaul. So that's the big market that we're excited about on the commercial side. Happy to switch to talking about the uh, the U.S. government and and uh, the U.S. military. Obviously, uh, things have changed a lot in the yeah. last year. You know, the the I think we had a little bit of a wake up call on on multiple fronts. We have two adversaries that have very real space capabilities. Uh, and one of them in particular, Russia, one of the first things they did before they uh, launched the invasion of Ukraine. So, I mean, just literally like 
In February, you're right. The day, right the day the before leading up, yeah. was they launched a massive cyber attack on a large geo satellite that uh, was providing Cosmic, broadband internet yeah. over, over Ukraine. And that attack, I think, showed that they're, uh, these adversaries are very serious about uh, space being a component of any conflict. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, it's, it's no longer theoretical. Mm-hmm. We know exactly what they will do because they, they showed that, uh, that that's exactly that that's what they'll do on day one. Um, so that was a, that was a pretty big wake up call. And, uh, and, and even before that, the U S military, if we're going to get in, if, if a conflict happens, uh, and there's a, a hotspot somewhere where we have to take action, they need as much broadband connectivity as they can get. I mean, it's no different than anything else. Um, but uh, the question is, you know, are they able to get it? And I, I don't, I don't know that today they're able to get all the capacity they need. Uh, and so being able to put up small satellites very quickly that have a lot of flexibility, uh, that can provide this extra capacity right where it's needed, uh, I think is something that they, you know, they realized and, and basically came to us and said, hey, we're really interested in what you're working on here. Right. One question I have on that, and this is definitely, you know, that the, all the talk of prol- proliferated Leo, one of the selling points there from a strategic or geopolitical lens is that it's a lot harder to hit, a, a, you know, a, a satellite in low Earth orbit that even if you do hit it, like, you know, there's the, the, it's a very, very redundant network. Whereas like Geo is they're they're sometimes described as like as sitting ducks. Because they're not moving as fast, they're easier to hit. That's where, like, what 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 would you say to that? So, one of the most well-respected generals, four-star general named uh, General Hyten, yes, had this quote, which is he started ref- basically he started referring to these satellites as uh, big, fat, juicy targets. <laughs> and actually, his his <laughs> his quote was, "I will no longer support the funding <laughs> of any more big, fat, juicy targets." <laughs> And I think that just sort of says it all, right? Yeah. We're, we're right now today <laughs> it's great. totally dependent on a very small number of these very large geo satellites for some very important capabilities, right? Uh, each of these capabilities may only be a handful of satellites. Uh, if you're talking about in geo, it's all about which part of the world that satellite is parked over. So, right. you know, you go to a certain part of the world, uh, we may only have one mm-hmm. uh, that, that, is, that is there that, that we're depending on. And so we need to make sure that those capabilities are resilient against uh, the possibility of some form of attack. Yeah. Uh, and those, those, those attacks could take many form. Um, it, doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, some kind of sci-fi space battle. Uh, like I said, with uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it could be a cyber attack. It mm-hmm. could be you know, some, some other form of action. There's a lot of ways that you could asymmetrically go after a you know, huge monolithic multi-billion dollar super important uh, yeah. asset right yeah so that is that is a, a huge concern and uh, again I think there was a little bit of a wake-up call that uh, that we need to be doing more on this and moving faster and so uh, we're, we're yeah we're trying to figure out where yeah. it can be helpful yeah and to your credit you've been really outspoken about this another aspect of sort of geopolitical hard power competition that I've seen you you refer to is the number of orbital launches. And so we, the United States launched more last year, China launched more the year before. And this is just because I have you, I'm curious what that sort, you know, why, why you think that's a, a very kind of important metric. Of course, it's, it's, it's an element of, of, of pride and, 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 and bragging rights and everything, but it, a lot of folks would argue that like upmass is is also is is pro- like the better like proxy of capability versus cadence. But I don't know, you know, you're you're the ex- expert here in terms of where you're getting dropped off, and so there 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 could be an argument made there. I think. Oh sure, yeah. So uh, the point is not. I mean, it, it, the point is not who is launching more on any given year. I think the point is that it it is it. Um, I think a lot of people didn't realize that if you look back over the past five years, China has been keeping pace with us mm-hmm. far far more than than maybe we might have yeah we might have thought yeah right uh, and they're they're just launching a lot of stuff into space yeah 
And there's no differentiation for them between commercial, civil, absolutely, military. It's all one sort of, you know. Civil military fusion. Yeah, it, yeah, it's all just sort of blended together. And so all of those launches matter. Yeah. And they're launching a huge array of capabilities to all every, every orbit, basically. Even cis-lunar, they're, they're launching, uh, you know, they're now launching things to the moon. And so uh, the amount that they are, just the amount of, of stuff that they're launching is far more than people thought. They're launching uh, military space planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're launching constellations for uh, for broadband comms. They're launching the, the, their own GPS system. They're doing a huge amount of in human spaceflight. So they have an entire space station that isn't talked about basically at all in the Western in the Western press. Uh, that has you know their own Taikonauts going up into you know yeah, up and back. Yeah, they, they did a crew rotation. There's literally uh, we're in a new era of two continuously yeah. crewed space stations. Yeah, yeah. It it is. Uh, so, so they are they are very serious and clearly have massive budgets mm-hmm. and a huge num- you know huge numbers of people working on this day and night to try and and catch up if not overtake the United States on some of these different capabilities and mm-hmm. it, and it, you know it what matters the diversity of capabilities matters right being able to do all of these different things across different right uh, the United States has done a lot of launches if you go look at the graphs. Huge amount of that is for Starlink, uh, which yeah, is an awesome yeah. capability. Uh, but that's just one capability. Yeah, broadband comes is just one thing. I mean, space is a very powerful. Uh, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot you can do in space, and there's a lot of power to that across a wide array of things. So totally. we need to be we need to be keeping an eye on what are all the capability GPS, remote sensing of different types. Yeah, uh, human spaceflight I think matters. As a uh, as as a, a, a soft power tool, there's uh, there's a huge array there that we need to be keeping track of. And I, I just thought that it was not getting the attention that it, yeah, yeah. that it deserves. So and, and that was the for a lot of those capabilities, of the argument then would be that the the newer commercial space companies that move a lot quicker, iterate, have a culture of shipping. You know, we could have talked for an hour about this, and I'm just bringing it up now towards the end of the conversation, but. Obviously, at, at Astronus, it's, it's clear that you move very quickly. And I, I think, right, like I'm not, I'm not putting, well, I am putting words in your mouth, but I think that's, that's, that's what you're getting at, right? Is that like where there are capabilities and where we're trailing, like that, we, that it's. We, yeah, we have something that China does not have, right? We have, uh, we have commercial space with brand new cutting edge Technologies being funded by the private sector, and those getting turned into real products and being shipped and launched into space in in very in, in a very rapid fashion. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that is not something that uh, that is just not something that China has. So yeah. I think we, you know, we should be very proud of that, and then we should figure out how we can how we can help that and and nurture it however we can as a country. I mean, that's just an yeah. important thing to do. Yeah. Because I I do, I do not think that we will be competitive. Uh, given how fast they're moving, if we only are dependent on the old way of doing space, right. which is huge programs, giant multi-billion-dollar programs that just go out to a handful of these, uh, you know, the, the traditional prime the primes, contractors, yeah. uh, that is not going to keep us competitive in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is that is a, a, a recipe for failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, two more two more questions. One is you know this this topic is i think one of the defining not not geopolitics obviously is a, a one of the defining storylines of space and 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 will always be but i am now i'm i'm referring to the concept of 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 you know connectivity broadband from space there are a lot of a lot of of companies you know space companies but also household names you know like apple and 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 uh t-mobile and making making inroads here making a play in some way shape or form you know it's obviously not there there are different sort of end use cases for all this broadband so to that end i'm i'm curious to to hear from you who you think your competition is uh well that is an interesting question um i as far as we are concerned the demand for broadband internet is effectively unlimited yeah right? yeah so it, in it what what we have been told uh, 
uh, my co-founder and I, uh, going back to the earliest days of Astronus, is that if you're in a market that is not only large, but growing very rapidly, then you really just do not worry about competition. You just yeah. don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. Uh, because the the bigger problem you will have is how do you serve the, you know, how do you serve the customers that you have, uh, not how to, and their growing needs over time mm -hmm. uh, and not, and you know, and not, not spend too much time worrying about competition. Yeah. 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 And then the last question, and then we'll go to rapid fire. There are, you know, that we could have done an entire, entire episode about being a space, a space startup founders. And there are a lot of founders that, that listen to this. So I want to ask on, on that, on, on their behalf, you know, what you think the, the, the fundraise, like, like the, the funding outlook in 2023 will look like just given macro, macro conditions and that sort of thing. Uh, Having, cause you, you kind of are on, on the, the other side of that to some extent. Yeah, for sure. So, um, uh, my understanding is that um, uh, is that er at, at, at earlier stages, uh, companies are still able to, mm -hmm. to to raise money. I think as they were before, maybe with valuations, you know, uh, adjusted a bit. Uh, at growth stage, for a lot of types of companies, uh, it is a very yeah, it's a very different situation. Right. Um, but I think within that. There is uh, there are exceptions, and what we have seen is that air and space and defense is an exception. Yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. And if you if you look at the major aerospace defense companies that are publicly traded, they are actually up twenty percent on the year. Yeah, we've um, we've also we've we've talked we've commented on this and analyzed it a little bit as well. It's definitely definitely more resilient and, and almost in a way kind of counter cyclical. So. That, that's that's encouraging. I mean, that's encouraging for for anyone who's listening to this and and either thinking about or needing to to go to go back out to the capital markets. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I guess what I would say is, uh, you know, I mean, it, what matters is the is the value you're providing and the, yeah. the problem you're solving, right? Uh, so, it, it, space is just one platform from which to uh, to solve some of these problems, but. Uh, broadband internet again, you know, I we have not seen demand dip at all. Yeah, uh, with our customer base, and it's a it's a total market that is effectively unlimited. And then on the defense side, I mean, companies should probably put some real thought into um, where they could be helpful to uh, to the United to the United States. Mm -hmm. Because that is where a lot of the um, uh, resiliency of the sector comes from. Yeah, right? is that space is such an important tool for U.S. leadership. Uh, I think you know, as we said, sort of soft power and, and hard power. Yeah, that it's um, uh, that it's a big deal and and something that will always be there. Yeah. So so you you've been a great sport and. Before I let you go, I do want to just ask some new, ra some some rapid fire questions, and they're new ones uh, for 2023. And to that end, the first one is: Do you have any 2023 New Year's resolutions? And if so, what are what are they? Or what is it? It's probably uh, that's a good question. Well, I was going to say I don't believe in New Year's resolutions, but coincidentally, I did decide to uh, very recently to, to get into better shape. So uh, you know, call it what you will. But last year was uh, was a pretty brutal year for me in terms of travel yeah. um you know coming back being able to travel again after covid and with all the customer demand we've seen all over the world it just made sense to get on an airplane yeah so many times that uh um yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to, yeah. to getting back you you and me both i uh it, I, it's not an official resolution but but if i did have an official resolution it would be that so we can hold each other accountable second question would you go to space would you go to the moon and would you go to mars yes or no for yes all three of okay. course on the last one if you were going to mars you can only take one thing with you what would you take i mean my first thought was my family but i you know i don't know that they'd be willing to go so yeah. i don't know if they, they get to, Un I, unfortunately that gets to count <laughs> that that will that will be a question for some guests for some guests but we we can go with family I, i'm going to cycle between objects and people uh, my my second to last rapid fire question. I know that you are a voracious sci fi reader. What's one book 
that you would recommend to the audience that they probably haven't heard of? Probably underestimate this. So I'll say one, uh, one of my favorites, which is Fire Upon the Deep okay. by Werner Vinge. Okay. Uh, okay. And awesome. it's like a classic sci-fi opera. Awesome. Um, it's just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not telling you you're going to have some like, you know, uh, earth shattering realizations reading that book. It's just a lot of fun. Okay. And we are at the, we're at the max Q point of the interview. I think this is the hardest question I'm going to ask you. I would like you to just tell me one fun fact on command. I have a cameo in a, an Academy award winning film. Okay. Can you say which or. Uh, the film is, or should, should we leave it to the audience? Yeah, maybe we'll leave it to the audience to figure every, it out. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, well, I like that better. Well, that, that also hits on another question I didn't ask, which is if you, if you weren't building geo satellites, what would you be doing? So I guess we know now that it would be acting. But John, thank you so much. This, this has been great. Excellent. Thank you very much. Great to be here.